praise. This is amazing grace. Secondly, in that phrase, this is unfailing love. Let's bow. Lord, today we come to concentrate and to study and to learn more about your great love and how we're supposed to mature in you. So, Lord, help us to sing with all of our hearts. 
Help us to study your word. Help us to think deeply about what it means to be a mature believer in Jesus. What it means to understand deeper and deeper every day your love. We can never reach the depth of it. We will never in this life reach the depth of it. But Lord, help us to try with all of our hearts. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, amen. I stand here today uh, with one who is a trophy of the grace of God, Miss Liz Ward. And uh, she stands here to tell you that she knows Jesus as her Lord and she wants to follow in obedience to our Lord's great commission in baptismal waters. Each one of our candidates today, uh, incredible testimony, all of them. I hope you'll ask them about that. But Liz, upon your profession of faith... Coming to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's my privilege, my sister, to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. For we are buried with Christ through baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. I, I forgot to ask, if you are here supporting, witnessing Miss Liz's uh, baptism, family, would you stand? Uh, there they are. God bless. Amen. Amen. This is Mr. Tom Waddell. Again, uh, journey, uh, the grace of God in Tom's life. Uh, you need to ask him about that testimony. And he stands here today having trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, obedience to the Lord and believer's baptism. Mr. Tom, it's my privilege to baptize you, my brother. Upon your profession of faith, obedience to the Great Commission, baptize you in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. For we are buried with Christ through baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. I certainly get excited about young people being baptized. But I have to be careful, Mr. Tom, here, older and in between. What a blessing to see. And last but not least, Mr. Ronnie Ball. And folks, today is his birthday. Isn't that awesome? Ronnie, you got family. Uh, Miss Linda, I know you, you're here. Stand up. That's Mr. Tom. I keep getting things. There you go. That's Tom's wife. All right. And then uh, Ronnie, Ronnie's folks, if you're here witnessing his baptism, Ronnie Ball, stand up, folks. I know there's a bunch of you. Look at there. All right. <clears throat> Ronnie, upon your profession of faith and willing to confess the Lord Jesus through baptismal waters, it's my privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. For we are buried with Christ through baptism. We are raised to walk in newness of life. Praise the Lord. Well, we would love for you to fill out one of these connection cards. Uh, maybe you're with us for the first or second time. Uh, we'd love to know who's worshiping with us today, so please fill that out. On the, on the back, if you have a prayer request, all of us, if you have a prayer request, uh, you, you want us to pray over, please do that. We promise to do that weekly. We meet every Tuesday morning, the staff and pastor, and, and we do that. Any other questions about the church? 
fill that out, and we'll we'll get with you on that information. Okay. Uh, so real quickly, a couple of announcements. Uh, the the video you saw earlier, Operation Christmas Child. Go out into the commons, and you can find out more about Operation Christmas Child, how you can help. There's a table set up there. You'll see those boxes out there, okay? And then, uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but uh, we need hundreds of people to sign up as townspeople. Some small speaking parts, especially men, uh, we need you to sign up, and we'll talk about that toward the end of the service. Um, and finally, candy. Please bring candy. has to be brought before Wednesday because they're putting all the packages together Wednesday for the children's event, okay, for the fall festival. So please bring that to the church before Wednesday at 5.30 supper time, okay? And that way they can uh, get that packaged. All right. Well, hey, let's um, continue to sing a little bit about uh, the love of God. And I can't think of a greater song than, than this, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all
his wounds have paid my, have paid your ransom. My sin, your sin was upon his shoulders. It was my sin, it was your sin that held him to that cross, amen? Isaiah 53 says that so well. I've asked Cammie to come and read this for us. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole, and he was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Let's sing this great old hymn together. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I
Brother David had told me about a new arrangement of the old rugged cross, and that was good. Amen. Praise the Lord. In the cross, coupled with on a hill far away, really brings to light the already and the not yet. The fact that we've been saved by grace through faith, and we're living for Christ today, but soon and very soon, the Lord's going to return, and we'll see Him face to face, and what a blessing that is. Ephesians chapter 3, you can make your way. Uh, We're going to be looking primarily at 17b, picking up that you will be, that you being rooted and grounded in love to the end. But let's read all of it to get context and perspective. It's the second part of a reverent and submissive prayer, praying to our powerful and loving Heavenly Father. If you remember last week, we dealt with the posture that Paul had in his prayer life. He had a a bowed knee, but most importantly, his heart was bowed before the Lord. And then that incredible petition to the Lord that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit with his strength. Today, we look at chapter 3, verse 17, down through verse 19 primarily. But listen to the word of the Lord. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory... He might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength. If you look back at strengthened and strength here. A little different variation of the meaning of the word. To comprehend with all the saints. Are we doing that today? With all the saints, trying to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father, when we read a statement like surpasses knowledge, Lord, we're just dumbfounded. And we have to recognize our finiteness before you and your infinite glory when we speak of surpassing knowledge. Lord, you know all things. We know very little. God, help us, Lord, to be strengthened in the area that we've already been rooted and built up in. Lord, that we might comprehend, that we may grasp, that we may take hold of. The love of Christ for us. Lord, height, depth, width, length. That dimensional understanding of it. God help us. May you use the word to accomplish your purposes today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have you ever asked how it is that our profession of faith and our experience of our faith are often far apart? You ever considered that? Why is that amid knowing God's truth and having God's spirit within us, we still feel empty spiritually? Anybody ever been there? Perhaps you're there now. We often feel powerless. In other words, the profession of our faith so often does not match our experience of the faith that we say we have. Right? So... 
we often feel powerless. We feel powerless over indwelling sin. We feel powerless to commune with God the way we would like to. We just feel plain powerless. Perhaps it could be that our hearts and minds have not been shaped and filled with and controlled by the priorities of Scripture itself. That's what we need, right? I think if we started praying like Paul prayed, maybe the gap between what we profess and what we actually experience in our lives may be shortened. We desperately need to apply, to assimilate the truth that Paul actually prayed about. He prayed it for the Ephesians, but make no mistake about it. He's praying it for all of us as well. We need to pray back to our God, spiritual truth, and ask God to work it within us. So the passage does tell us that we are praying to one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Now, we stop and say, Lord, how can you help us close that gap between what we profess and what we experience? Well, you may say, when we look at something like the fullness of God, Lord, how can we even have... It, it may even seem to be somewhat outlandish to pray, may Christ indwell me in such a way that he is pervasively in every bedroom of my life. That may sound like an outlandish prayer until you read verse 20. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above anything we could ever ask or think. Remember the punchline is, is this. He is able. He is able. We learned last week again the posture of Paul's praying. And here we learned also this petition of being strengthened with his power. Today, here's the third part of this incredible prayer. Pray to know the love of Christ. Listen to it again. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So, it's pretty easy to summarize, in my opinion, what Paul is asking. He is praying that we might know the love of Christ. On the surface, that's where we are. Notice he prays that we would be rooted and grounded. Uh, for you grammarians, both of these are in the perfect passive participial form, which is important for us. Why? Because the passive voice means that God is the one acting upon this. And so, notice he prays that we would be rooted and grounded. He uses an agricultural term and an architectural term. Rooted in soil and built up. So the phrase, love, modifies both of those participial phrases. So it communicates in metaphorical language, location and sphere. Location in the soil, rooted, grounded, in the sphere of being built up. So love is the soil in which believers are rooted and will grow. It's the foundation in which we are built. So, it's not referring at this point to our love for others or even our love for God. We're dealing with Christ's love for us. That's what we're dealing with. This is, again, become firmly rooted and become Firmly fixed. Know that you are secured in God's love. John Stott rightly says, Love is to be the soil in which their life is rooted, and love is to be, love is to be the foundation on which their life 
is built. So this becomes the ground of the next clause. It would read something like this. Because you have been rooted and established in love, you may be able to grasp. It's this petition in which he is saying and praying for strength. Notice that. Rooted and grounded in love may have strength. Again, this word is incredibly strong. It, is, it means to be able by, really the translation, able by the strength to comprehend. It is to be empowered in such a way that you're in a position to do something. This is important. Why? Because the first petition was strength in the inner man. The second petition is that we would be strengthened and empowered and able to do something. What is the something? Well, it's a lot, isn't it? Some of you may say this looks like a Rubik's Cube. This thing has dimensions to it. But the something that we're supposed to do and lay hold of mentally is to comprehend or seize onto something And if you recognize the reading grammatically, it doesn't even tell you what that is in the text. It kind of leaves you hanging. Look. To comprehend with the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. It's an incomplete sentence. What is it that you're supposed to be able to comprehend the height and depth and width and length? What is that particular thing? And then he says, again, this dimension. So, there's no object. Uh, It is a dimensional description, uh, and we're told to do something with it. And he wants us to be able to mentally comprehend and grasp this dimensional thing. Width, length, height, depth. And again, he's not talking about a cube, but he is talking about something that is vast and incredibly immense. Now, do we have any other dimensional language like this in the Bible? I'm glad you asked, right? Job chapter 11, verse 7. I do not hear the scripture pages turning. So do you know this by heart? Anybody? Pop up right quick and give us the dimensional analysis of this particular passage. Seriously, listen to this. Chapter 11 of the book of Job. These are rhetorical questions, but it's okay if you answer them out loud. Okay? Verse 7, can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? Why? Because it's higher than heaven. What can you do? It is deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. Do you see the dimensional part? If he passes through and imprisons and summons the court, who can turn him back? Why is this the case? Why can't we do these things? For he knows worthless men. When he sees iniquity, will he not consider it? Well, it is a text, of course. Uh, Verse 9 gives us this dimensional language. The depths of God and the limits of the Almighty are put into a perspective of vastness. The immensity, and it goes far beyond anything That we can grasp. Why? The finite cannot fully soak in the infinite. Does that make sense? When we talk about man, we're talking about limits. We're talking about sinfulness. When we talk about God, we're talking about someone who knows no limits and knows no bounds. So we've got this dimensional language. And I think at this point it helps us get the picture that there's no higher height than God. 
There's absolutely no wider width than God. There is no lower depth than God. And there is no greater length than God. He's, his being and his essence goes further than anything we could possibly ever imagine. Which I kind of think fits verse 20 of what our God is able to actually do. But in our text, note something. He's using that same kind of language. But note, he's applying it to something different. Paul is praying that God would empower you. He puts you into the position that you might grasp and apprehend what is the width, height, length, depth. No wonder we need power. Amen? No wonder we need strength to do this. So what is he talking about with no stated object? Well, I think it's pretty clear that he begins with rooted and grounded in love. And if, again, if you look at the text, you'll find out that he picks up another word and he links it together with apprehend or to seize. And he does the linking together with a little Greek word that we don't have to discuss today, right? But, don't, but you miss the English. In the English, you miss this point that he's connecting them together. So it is the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, which is in fact what is the width and the length and the height and the depth. This is what God is wanting you to apprehend and seize and grasp. Something that God has already built you up in and rooted you into the soil in. Now we're praying that God would help us to comprehend it experientially, right? So Paul is praying that we take these brains of ours, which are often filled with so many things, the mental faculties we have, to be able to apprehend what is the width, length, height, and depth of Christ's love. Trevor Francis wrote a hymn. Some of you may know this. David knew it. It's called, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. That one verse says, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free-rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of thy love, leading onward, leading homeward to thy glorious home above. I like it. Please, let's all stop and think about what Paul is saying. It's part of the truth that he hopes will grip your heart. It will also lead you to pray, right? This kind of prayer for yourself. Now, in a sense, we know what it is like to need to be strengthened in the inner man because we know our weaknesses. This is something I pray every single day. Lord, you know me way better than I know myself. And what I know of myself is not too good. Absolutely. Need your strength in my life. So we grasp that. We know so. We, we, we certainly want the Spirit of God to feel welcome in every corridor of our lives. With nothing hidden. Right? We talked about this last week. Yet when we start talking about grasping and seizing upon the things that are absolutely vast and immense. We need comprehension that goes beyond what we can soak up in our feeble minds. Don't we? We need God's strength to do this. And notice what it says. Paul prays that we would be able to do all this and contemplate the immensity of the love of God with all the saints. I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit put this in Paul's mind as he was superintended the writing of Scripture. Why? Because we do this with all the saints. What does that mean? It means, well, his prayer is not given to us that we can go off and get into our hammocks out somewhere off of a bluff and contemplate how God loved you. Right? Now, obviously, we should dwell on those kinds of things, but notice it's important. 
The people of God together are to gather corporately and try to grasp and try to lay hold of the immensity of the love of Christ. We are called by God to gather. John Stott notes this. It takes the, it takes the whole people of God to understand the whole love of God, all the saints together. Dear God, we need to ask, take our limited minds and let them behold the limitless nature and immensity of the love of Christ. The implication is that there is no way this side of heaven that we would ever comprehend this in the present. But Father, help us begin to understand the width and length and height and breadth of the love of God. And we do it, folks, as a community project. Does that make sense? We do it together with all the saints. We do it corporately as a community project. Father, help us do this. We do this together. Now listen to the last part of this petition. With all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? Listen to verse 19. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses Knowledge. This is connected very closely with to grasp or take hold of or apprehend. And it, but it takes the petition to another level. Think with me. It moves beyond just mental apprehension of this four-dimensional understanding of the limitless immensity of love. And it makes it very personal with experiential intimate knowledge of. So Paul is concerned about the way we think about the love of Christ. But he's also interested in about the ability to know it. You understand what that means? You may say, I know that it is hot in here. Now, some of you always tell me, it's hot in that auditorium, preacher. And others are sitting on the vents. <laughs> right? And you're saying, oh, it's freezing in here. Well, this would be cognitive recognition that it is either hot or cold in here. Yet if I say, I know God, that can be a different connotation. You agree? It can be. It could mean way more than just the cognitive recognition of the fact. This may mean that I am claiming to have a personal, intimate, experiential knowledge. In other words, I have a relationship with God Almighty himself. We biblically would say that Adam knew his wife and she bore a son. He knew his wife and she bore a son. We certainly not, would not take that to be, to be mere cognitive knowledge that Eve existed. No, Paul wants us to grasp something with our minds so that our hearts are taken hold of by what we know. Think about this. Something that we know. We want to understand it with our minds so that we can experience it in our hearts. Know it in the mind. Folks, that's important to know the love of God, isn't it? The strength to do that. But it's also vitally important for what you know in your mind to move to your affections. For it to affect you within your experiential living out of this reality. We want to understand it with our minds so that we can experience it in our hearts. He says clearly at this point, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What does that mean? To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. F.F. Bruce helps us a little bit. To know the love of Christ is to know Christ himself in ever-widening experience. I mean, he really is uh, the breadth, the length, the width, and height of love, right? So ultimately, it is to know Christ. Now, if we stop and think about a panoramic view of the love of Christ for us, 
that did not begin in the present. It actually began before the foundation of the world. When we think about that, that's, that's huge, isn't it? In love, you were predestined. I mean, that's vast. That's immense. Charles Spurgeon helps us a little bit. Here's what he says. The love of Christ in its sweetness, in its fullness, in its greatness, and its faithfulness passes all human comprehension. We could say yes. Where shall language be found that shall describe his matchless unparalleled love to the children of men? Stay with me. It is so vast and boundless that as the swallow which but skims the water and dives not into its depths, so all descriptive words by touch only touch the surface while depths of the love of God immeasurable lie beneath the surface. Who then can tell us of the majesty of Christ? When he was enthroned in the highest heavens, he was very God, a very God. By him the heavens were made and all the host thereof. His almighty arm upheld the spheres. And the praises of the cherubim and seraphim perpetually surrounded him. The full chorus of the hallelujahs of the universe unceasingly flowed to the foot of his throne. He reigned supreme above all creatures. God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But he's not done there. Who then can tell the height of his glory? Who, on the other hand, can tell how low he descended? He did not consider his equality with the Father something to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation, coming in the form of a servant. Though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. He descended, folks. To be a man was something. I'm back on Spurgeon now. But to be the man of sorrows was far more. Are you all thinking about the love of God? To bleed and to die and to suffer. These were much for him who was the Son of God. But to suffer unparalleled, unparalleled agony and to endure a death of shame and desertion by his Father is another depth of love. This is a depth of condescending love which the most inspired mind must utterly fail to fathom. Herein is love. And truly, it is love that passes knowledge. And then he says this, O oh, let this love fill our hearts with adoring gratitude and let it lead us to the practical manifestations of its power. You know, when you start to think about what he did, you know those things, right? But, but we need to do more than just know them. It needs to come into our experience. And that's why Spurgeon says all those things, to know the height of our God and, and who the Lord Jesus was in all of his glory before he ever came down from heaven. Y'all do know Jesus is not a Johnny-come-lately. There's never been a time when the Son was not coexistent, coefulgent, coessential with his Father. But yet, he made himself, he left his throne above, condescended to this earth. Stop and think about this for a moment. He did this for love, for sinners like me and you. Who can fathom the depths of the king of glory taking upon himself human flesh and submitting himself to all the developments of humanity? It's called the incarnation. Just to stop and think about that. Who can fathom the depths of Christ's love in that he lived in abject poverty? Who can fathom that? The Lord of glory who created the world came and lived in it in abject poverty. 
He endured much shame and humiliation. Who can fathom the love of Christ just in the incarnation itself? When we think about humiliation of Christ, we think humiliation is the cross. Wait a minute. Humiliation is to leave heaven and be born in a cattle stall. Right? To be born like you and me. So, no deity was lost when the Son of Man came down to heaven. Came down from heaven. What it is, is, is subtraction by addition. He added humanity. He added, he, he added us. That's what humiliation really is. He endured much shame. Who can fathom the love of Christ just in the incarnation? Who can fathom the depth of his love in not only becoming a man, but also living as our representatives on the world, in the world? Who can fathom that? This leads ultimately to his suffering. He goes before human courts, manned by people that he created. Oh, the love of Christ. Can we fathom the depths of his love in submitting himself to one named Pilate? Pilate thought he was a king? Really? You know, that interchange between Jesus saying, you don't really know really of the kingdom. Uh, you know, so the fact of the matter is, what, what about him submitting to someone as ruthless as Herod? But he did. Who can fathom the depth of the love of Christ, that very God of very God, veiled in human flesh, would yield himself to human courts that would try him and find him guilty? Think of this. He did all of this submissively under the hand of his Father. I come to do thy will, O God. Right? Who could ever fathom the love of Christ as he hung suspended between heaven and earth? Not just as a common criminal of the Roman Empire. But folks, he hung there as a substitutionary, wrath-bearing, curse-bearing sacrifice for sinners. He bore your curse in his body on the tree. Cursed is anyone who is hung upon a tree. The Galatians fleshes that out. He received the curse of God on your behalf. Representatively, he did so. Substitutionarily. How could we ever fathom the love of Christ that it took to keep him on the cross? I mean, his songs have been written about that. What kept him on the cross? He could have called 10,000 angels to take him off the cross. He could have just spoke the word and it would have been over. Yet, it was the love of Christ that kept him on the cross. Amen. Think about this, folks. Who can fathom that kind of love? Who can fathom the love of Christ when him using those words, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me. We have no idea of the width and length and height and the depth of the love of Christ. He gave himself for our transgressions. Could we ever wrap our minds around the love of Christ when he said, it is finished? Can you ever, could we ever grasp all that was involved in those words? To Tetelestai, perfect passive, paid in Full. Can we ever wrap our minds around that? If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ and you are not a Christian, and I want to remind you that everybody in America says they're Christians, but it's not true, then you need to know that there was love incarnate demonstrated for lost and rebellious sinners just like me and you. Hear me today. From whom did Christ, for whom did Christ die? He died for the ungodly. That's all of us. 
For whom did Christ die? He died for his enemies. He died for sinners. And this is how he demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. So sinner, this morning, if you recognize that you're a sinner, that you're ungodly, and you're an enemy of God, here is the love of Christ. The Lord Jesus gave himself up for sinners. That's the love of Christ. Stop living your life as your own puppet king. Stop denying the love of God for such people as you. It is no accident this morning that you're in this service. And I'm here to tell you today that Jesus Christ loves sinners. And the glorious news is that 2,000 years later, after he offered himself up as a love sacrifice on behalf of sinners, he still loves sinners and he still saves sinners today. That's weak. That's a weak amen. We ought to say amen. Amen. Right? That he died for the ungodly. Now, do you love your kids? Do you? I I just looked at some couples. You don't have kids yet, so you don't know what this is like. If you love your kids, what about grandkids? That's another question, right? Now you start responding. Now, there's something that draws our hearts to them. It draws out love to them. I've heard you pray for your children. Especially if they're lost, right? It draws our heart out to them. What is it that drew God's heart to be set on you, to love you? What is it? What was lovely about me to draw Christ's heart out to me? Am I just smarter than the next person? Are you just smarter than the next person beside you? What about the love of Christ for his people? He is our great high priest. We have a mediator. He loves his people. He loves, his love is deeper than anything we could imagine. So we often live our lives missing this ingredient of the love of Christ in us. Paul did not do that. Galatians 2.20. Paul could say, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who, say it, loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, to be loved by Christ. Is it any wonder that Paul would pray that we would be able to be in such a position that we would know this love that surpasses understanding? And I'm praying that you can enter into this experientially of what it means to have the love of Christ be toward you in surpassing knowledge. Sometimes the love of God is captured more in songs than in prose. It, maybe, is that the reason why we love to sing about the love of Christ? Think about that for a moment. To, to do it in mere words sometimes seems futile to me. I've been whistling or humming a tune, walking through a bank or in a supermarket, and people look at you kind of strange. And I've been asked on occasion, well, why would you want to sing? Why would I not? Why would you not want to sing about the love of the Savior for you? Does it not move what's in the mind and the hard drive to your affections to want to lift up and sing it? Philip Bliss wrote this song, I will sing of my Redeemer. And his wondrous love for me. Hear this. On the cruel cross he suffered from the curse to set me free. Listen to this one. I will sing of my Redeemer 
and his heavenly love for me. He from death to life has brought me, Son of God, with him to be. Yes, I'll sing of my Redeemer, sing it with his love. He purchased me on the cross. He sealed my pardon, paid the debt, and made me free. I hope that song's in your heart all week. Folks, the love of God. Summing it up, Paul is praying that we would know the unknowable, that which is beyond knowledge. It's almost like he's saying, I hope that your experience of the love of Christ absolutely outruns any theologizing, right, that you and I could ever do. Because really, when we start thinking about depth, height, length, width, now those are theological things about God. Well, may your love outrun any of that. Knowing full well that Christ loved you. May the love of Christ that's been extended to you, that actually rooted you and built you up, right? This is transforming power of his love. And folks, if you've experienced it, it ought to always lead to obedience. Hear me, folks. Something is wrong when someone professes to know Christ and leaves the church. Paul said this. I go hard after Christ because he went hard after me. There is a vital link between God actually resurrecting your heart and you being in a position where you've already been rooted and built up in love that makes you sustain and persevere. Why? Because God perfects for all time those he saves. Hebrews 10. They went out from us. Because they were not part of us. Had they been of us, they would have remained. Folks, you need to think about the love of Christ for you. Does it, isn't that where it all starts? In this manner, God loved the world. That he gave his only one unique son. That whoever believes in him will not perish. But will have eternal life. That verse alone speaks of the cost of redemption. He gave himself. It speaks of the condition of knowing him. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what wonderful consequences. We won't perish. But our destiny is with the Lord forever. Eternal life. One final one. And this will be fast. We need to pray for spiritual maturity. Now you may say, preacher, how in the world do you get that out of that last phrase? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now we know that in Ephesians 5, he's going to say, and be not drunk with wine, in which is excess, but be be being filled, is the terminology, with the Holy Spirit of God. Listen, that you may be filled unto the fullness of God. If we needed help to ascertain the love of Christ, how much more help do we need with this one? Just read it. That we would be filled unto. May be filled unto all the fullness of God. I don't know what y'all think, but I need help in this one. I need strength from the Lord. He's praying that all that God is. Are y'all listening? I'm going to land the plane, I promise. He's praying that all that God is, let that sink in, the fullness of God. Let's put a few things in there. His glory, his presence, his power, his life, his rule, his perfections, his love, his joy. Words would fail us to, 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 to go out this line, would it not, of the fullness of God. Could it be that he's just praying, make them holy 
as I am holy. Could that be it? I would say absolutely. These petitions and all of the sub-connected positions are rolling upward and ascending at this point in order that you might be filled into the, all the fullness of God. It is a divine passive, meaning that God is acting upon us. It is God who is going to do all of the filling. It is literally filled unto the fullness of God. And this means that this is to the measure of which God will fill us. Peter O'Brien says this fullness or perfection is the standard or the level to which they are being filled. Now if we, look, we learn back in 123, listen to what it says. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So, let's stop there and think about it. Colossians 2.10 2, tells us the same thing, that you're already complete in Christ. So how is it that we're praying for fullness when we're already given Christ? Does that make sense? Colossians 2.10 says that we have all the fullness of Christ in us, Godhead bodily. He, you don't get part of Jesus when you get saved. You get all of him. You don't get part of the Spirit. You get all of him. So you are sitting here today full of the Holy Spirit of God in that sense. However, there is a, a end times. I say it that way so I don't scare you with the term eschatological. Okay? That's end times. So here's how you sum this up. There's the already and there's the not yet. There you go. There's the already Full to the met. You're already saved by grace through faith. Christ lives in you. But there's the not yet. In other words, folks, we're living, we're living between two worlds. We are alive in Christ, filled, given the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. But there is a continuous issue where God is conforming you to the image of his son every single day. So how can we sum all this up? Well, it's called spiritual maturity. It's growing in Christ. We need to become what we already are. And Paul is going to, look, look how he does this. Chapter 4, verse 1. By the way, there's like 35 imperative commands after you start verse 4. So he moves from indicatives, who you are in Christ, and then he's going to give us multiple imperatives. This is, since you are in Christ, here's the way you live. Case in point. I therefore, as a prisoner from the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. What is that? Chapters 1 through 3. The whole ball of wax. In other words, since God called you in salvation and you are saved, then here's the way you ought to live. You ought to begin to mature as a believer. You ought to love Jesus more today than you did yesterday. You ought to be more obedient today than you ever have been in your Christian life. That makes sense. Some of you are looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. You have no idea what I'm saying. You're listening, but you're not hearing. Right? Look, folks, we need to become what we already are. God is growing us up into maturity to be like Christ. Here's what Jesus said in John 17, 26. Listen, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known... That the love with which you have loved me be in them, and I in them. We live between the tension of the two ages. We need to realize that being filled with the Spirit is an important means in this process. So when Paul prays for us to be strengthened through the Spirit and experience the effects of Christ indwelling in the inner man, it's so that we might be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. He's praying that God will 
make us into what he would have us to be and that we would yield and submit. I mean, we all know this. Living the Christian life is yielding your members as instruments of righteousness. It is yielding to the Lord for spiritual growth and maturity. He's praying for spiritual maturity. So the first half of this letter culminates with an incredible petitionary prayer established on the love of Christ. An awareness of the magnitude of his love for you so that you might become spiritually mature. Put this together. The love of God for us are to propel us towards spiritual maturity. So we have to stop and ask the question, if you never grow in your faith, what is wrong? Church, are you listening? If we've been recipients of the love of Christ, then by necessity, we should begin to grow. We we should be yielding our members as instruments of righteousness, and we should be, I remember old Raymond Salerno, Natalie up in Big Stevens Creek, God, help me love you more tomorrow than I do today. He prayed that every single time because that's important, isn't it? Let us reciprocate as best. I know it's love that surpasses knowledge. I get it. But we need to be reciprocating that love to him. And how do you do it, folks? You do it by obedience. You do it by obeying the Lord. All right, you ready? Test. Do you love the Lord? Raise your hand. All right, put them down. Do you keep his commandments? Raise your hand. Oh, what did half of them go? What did Jesus say? If you... You got it. If you love me, it shouldn't make a difference in the way that you live. We need the fullness of God's love and power in order to be like Christ. And this will help us conform to his image. You ready? 1 John 3. Behold what manner of love... That word is exotic out of this world. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. That's Ephesians chapter 1 through chapter 3. There it is. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Beloved, it does not appear what we shall be. Here we are in the already. But we know that when he appears we shall be like him. Oh, that's the eschatological dream of every believer, right? No more sin, seeing Christ face to face. And with this hope, we purify ourselves even as he is pure. There's a purification that goes on. What's that called? Yes, it's called maturity, okay? And I think it will help us in the manner so that we live worthy of our calling. Ephesians chapter 4. And so then, we can love our neighbors, right? We can love our churches, we can love our families, and we can love this broken world that needs Jesus. Amen. Brother David's going to come. I'm going to pray, and our choir is going to move. And I don't want uh, Miss Pam, if you'll come to the front row, and Brother Chris Dixon come to the front row. I don't mind if you stand up here starting off with the choir, if you want to sing with them, and you don't mind that. And so we're going to have, after I pray, we're going to have two prayers by them. And then don't leave. We're going to have a song. Okay, let's pray. Great God, help us, Lord, to apprehend and to apply to our lives the surpassing knowledge of the love of Christ. Height, depth, width, length. God, help us. And may it motivate us towards spiritual maturity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Ever since uh, Cammie and I 
have, were at the uh, Sing Conference by Getty Music last month. This song really spoke to our hearts, and we wanted to teach it to you. And then when I found out Brother Philip was going to be preaching on the love of God, I said, today's the day. We're going to learn this song. So uh, let us and the, and the choir uh, share this with you, and then you join in on the second uh, verse, okay?
Let's remain standing as we pray together. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, because you have chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before you. In love, you predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. As your children, we are to be rooted and grounded in love. This is a great treasure to experience the joy of knowing the unknowable, knowing how loved we are. Help us, Father, to truly comprehend how limitless this is with both our minds and our hearts as a church body and individually. <clears throat> For you have told us we are loved with an everlasting love. Your love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He has been given to us as a seal to our inheritance, and we love because you first loved us. You have taken the initiative in all of your dealings with us. Jesus, you have commanded us to love our enemies, to love one another, and above all, to love God with our heart, our soul, and our mind and to love our neighbor as ourself. Oh, Father, forgive us when we fail to do so. May we continually be filled with your spirit and strengthened to show forth your love in all that we say and do, to bring glory and honor to your holy name. Father, we are in desperate need of this reminder in Romans 8. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, what an awesome God. <laughs> That you are, and we know that you are able to accomplish much more than we could ever imagine. God, uh, we pray that, that you meet us at our point of need. We know that we need you. And Father, may we grow deeper in our knowledge of you and your great love. God, fill us with the fullness of you. Father, fill us with the fullness of you. Fill us. God, fill us where no more can be added. That we have all we can get of you. God, would you increase our hunger and our, our thirst for you. Strengthen us so that we are able to comprehend and deal with what it means to have the fullness of you dwell in our lives in increasing measure. Father, take us deeper. Uh, Father, save us from swimming around in the shallows and to take us in the depths of, of living a life that is holy and blameless, one that represents the grace that you have lavished on us. 
Father, forgive us when we have a small view of you and a small view of, of your love. God, you're a big God, and you command us to be imitators of you. So forgive us when we don't. Grow us to be more like Jesus, living our lives like Jesus with humility and meekness and patience and forbearing love. God, to live this way and, and to have great joy and fulfillment, knowing that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ, having been redeemed and forgiven, adopted, highly favored, God, uh, declared righteous, sealed. God, thank you. And Father, we pray this, that you may receive glory through your church. And we pray this in Christ's name for his sake. Amen. new member or no? I don't know what y'all think about this, but this is a whole lot better than the best jail in Ozark. <laughs> Folks, it's okay. It's okay to celebrate the love of God. Amen? Amen. And, and praying and celebrating Christ and praying, oh, the measure of Christ in us. Folks, nothing can be better than the people of God joined together with all the saints talking about the love of Christ. God is so good. Amen. All right, Tom and Linda and Ronnie and Crystal. All right, y'all come on up here. So they were baptized today, but they're also joining the church today. Okay? Uh, both couples have gone through uh, the new members class. And so uh, here they come. All right, y'all can look. This is Tom and Linda Waddell. Don't call him Waddle. <laughs> Tom says he waddles a little bit, but it's Waddell, okay? Tom and Linda Waddell and Ronnie and Crystal Ball. They're newly married, had a birthday, was baptized. I mean, God is good, amen? So we want to recognize, we've, you know who they are from baptism. This is the spouses of each. And we welcome into our church family. To God be the glory, amen? All right. Uh, Ronnie's coming by uh, profession of faith and baptism. Crystal's coming by transfer of letter. Uh, Tom is coming by profession of faith and baptism. And Linda, really by statement, right? I've been Amen. You've been baptized too. Yep. All right. By statement. <laughs> Praise God. God is good. Amen. I'll have you go back to the back. And if you'll meet Chris back there, we want to recognize you and let people shake your hand when they leave. A couple of things. Um, we need $4,000 to help buy Christmas gifts for about 30 families. We got about $1,000. Do I need to say more? <laughs> let's give, okay? Let's try to give that and so we can take care of families that otherwise would not have a Christmas, okay? And some, most of these families, right, Blake, have come through the clothing ministry. So we've already made a contact with them. So we got about 1000 bucks. Let's step up and hit that uh, area. Is there something else I was supposed to say, David? Yes, there are some, I looked up on the stage and I saw some Bethlehem characters up on the, in the balcony. So they're dressed out there, kind of what we're going to look like at Back to Bethlehem. A couple of things. If you're not signed up to help, you need to. We need lots of townspeople. It needs to be busy. You don't have to know a line. You have to, it'd be good if you're a man, you got a beard. <coughs> That's why I grew mine out, right? I didn't do it just to make the older ladies in the church mad at me, you know. <laughs> I did it because of Back to Bethlehem. So, they're going to be in character out there. 
And they got some sign-up sheets. We need townspeople to pull this off, okay? And there are some other speaking parts, I think, available, but we need your help. All right? Is that it, Brother David? See the characters to become a character. All right. There they are. Yes. Hey, let's sing as we go. The words of Paul again, I will not boast. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. 